the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Corinthians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal... But he is coming to you with much enthusiasm. Circle that word. I love that word, and I love word studies. For those of you who love word studies, it's kind of a geeky thing, but I do like to get into word studies. The word enthusiasm is from two Greek words, entheos, meaning in God. The most enthusiastic people are those who are in the Lord. Pastor Gary will show us today how enthusiasm is related to being in the Lord. But when you look around your church, is that true? Do you see the people who are in the Lord being enthusiastic servants, enthusiastic worshipers, enthusiastic students or leaders? Now take a look at yourself. When the call goes out for volunteers, are you jumping at the chance to help share the gospel? Lean into Christ today and discover what it means to be in the Lord and watch your enthusiasm grow. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But if you were with us last time that we ended here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, You'll remember that between chapters 8 and 9, the main theme that Paul is addressing here is the topic of giving. Paul is telling the church at Corinth that they should understand giving is a part of the Christian life, that Christians should be the most generous people. Can I get an amen on that? Because if we understand the generosity of God and how much we've been recipients of the generosity of God, then we should be likewise as generous as possible. And uh, there are many ways that one can be generous, but in the context of these chapters, Paul's talking specifically about offerings and being generous in terms of your financial capabilities. I am most aware of an opportunity to be generous outside of the church uh, when I'm at a restaurant, because I can't go anywhere anymore and not somebody, hey, Pastor Gary. So now I'm generous almost out of obligation, right? Because I got somebody who's waiting on a table and, hey, Pastor Gary, oh, great, I got to be generous now on the tip. <laughs> I, I wish I was more spiritual and to say that I always just wanted to be, but when I get noticed, now I got to be. But I'm always thankful for those who wait on tables and it's something I'm glad I don't do, but I always appreciate people who do it because I think it's a thankless job and they're slopping people's dishes and utensils around. And so it is an opportunity in different ways and at different times and different places for us to be generous. But Christians should be some of the most generous people on the planet. 
And so Paul addresses the topic of generosity, a word that appears, generous, or some form of the word, generosity, generous, eight times between chapters eight and nine. It is That word, generous or generosity, is found more concentrated in these two chapters than in anywhere else in all of the Bible. So this is a major theme that we need to understand, and there is a lot the Bible has to say about the topic of giving and generosity, and specifically the areas of money and possessions and stewardship. The Bible has a few things to say about it. There are roughly 2,350 verses in the Bible concerning money. This is roughly twice as many verses than on the subjects of faith and prayer combined. Jesus spoke more about the stewardship of money than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. The only subject Jesus spoke more about was the kingdom of God. 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught had to do with some aspect of possessions or material things or the stewardship thereof. So this is obviously a major theme uh, through Scripture, and the reason is because God wants us to understand that there is a correlation, a direct correlation between a person's spiritual life and his or her attitudes concerning the right management of the things that have been entrusted to us, that there is actually a correlation between material possessions and the stewardship and the management of those things in relation to our spiritual lives. And so much so that in chapter 8, Paul actually talks about giving as one of the spiritual disciplines along with faith, along with knowledge, and along with loving other people. It was a verse we covered last time, but look again here at chapter 8, verse 7, where Paul says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now realize that it's not the law of giving. We are not under the obligation of the law, but we are still under the moral aspect of the law, which is that there is a moral aspect behind stewardship, that we are not obligated, it is not a legal thing, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more because he expounds on this topic further in the chapter, that this is not a mandate of the law. We are now under the grace of giving, but grace always exceeds the law, and so we should never be looking for a way to do less than, we should always be willing to look for a way to be the most generous people because God is generous. Now, unfortunately, because of this topic, and we spoke about this last time, but it spills over further into chapter 8 and into chapter 9, so we're not done with this topic just yet. But let me just preface the before I even dive into these verses by saying this, that I am aware that there is you know, super sensitivity to this topic in the church, and that is due in large part to the abuse, in my opinion, of this topic from the pulpit. I think you will find, I think you'll be in agreement with me, that you will find in most churches that people have an opinion about the topic of money and giving, and it usually falls into the extreme camps. On the one extreme, there is this concept that money is a necessary evil. 
and that, and that it is, money is a necessary evil, but otherwise it's dirty. It's, uh, it's something that is, you know, you have to make in order to survive, but otherwise it has no intrinsic value and that money itself can be a trap and can be dangerous and it's evil. Okay. And a lot of times they quote, Paul's letter to Timothy, when it talks about the love of money is a root of all evil, it's not the root, it is a root, and it can be. It can be a snare. Uh, on the other hand, the other end of the spectrum is that God is all about riches and prosperity, and he wants everybody to be wealthy. And there are verses about how God does bless people. I mean, Proverbs 22, 4 says, humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. So, you know, you can't escape the topic and realize, in fact, that God does provide for all that we have, including making some people wealthy, not so that they can hoard it, but so they can be a conduit of it, a vessel of it. But you have in the church, I think, these two camps. Where it's like, money is evil, money is bad, don't make a lot of money, and it's a trap. And then you have this other aspect, which is, you know, money is wonderful, and God, you know, showers out blessings of money, and everybody should be prosperous and wealthy. It's just like, can we please understand the balance of what the Bible teaches and not get camped in these two extremes? There is a balance to this subject, but it is neither of those extremes. So I'm hoping that when we look here at chapter 8 and chapter 9 that we can understand the balanced biblical view as it relates to the topic of material things and giving, and again, the word that is used more times here than any other place in the Bible, generosity. So let me start by just recapping one of the slides that I showed last time we were together, um, and, and that is this, that giving is a privilege, chapter 8, verse 4, giving is a priority, chapter 8, verse 5, and giving is a sign of spiritual maturity there in verse 7. That summarizes the first part of chapter 8. Let me read now the last part of chapter 8 where Paul takes kind of a commercial break. In end of chapter 8, before he goes into chapter 9, he's going to pick up the topic of giving more so in chapter 9 about the principles of it. But first he has a little commentary here about Titus and Titus's role in this whole topic. Because what Paul did was he sent Titus to the church at Corinth to receive their offering. And there's a reason that he does this, and he's going to explain it further. Why doesn't he just go and receive an offering himself? There's a reason that he sends Titus, and he's going to explain it here in a moment. But follow along with me. Chapter 8, verse 16. Paul says, I thank God who put it in the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. And that concern is, again, growing in the grace of giving, understanding about generosity. This is a good thing to realize about Christians and stewardship. Everything has come from God. We have to be good managers of it. Titus, by the way, this is the same Titus after whom an epistle is entitled. The epistle, it's really to Titus. It's not by Titus. Paul wrote a letter to Titus, and so that bears his name further on in the New Testament. It's a little deceiving because some of the books of the New Testament bear the name of the author, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but then there are some books like Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and the book of Titus, not written by Timothy or Titus, written by Paul to Timothy and to Titus. So, but this is that same Titus. He's a Greek, the Bible tells us. He's a Gentile. And he becomes a traveling companion of Paul in his missionary journeys. And so he's a good friend of Paul's, and Paul's going to send him to the church at Corinth. He says, I'm just thankful 
I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm. Circle that word. I love that word, and I love word studies. For those of you who love word studies, it's kind of a geeky thing, but I do like to get into words. The word enthusiasm is from two Greek words, entheos, meaning in God. The most enthusiastic people are those who are in the Lord, are those who know the Lord. You and I should be the most enthusiastic people. That is the real meaning of enthusiasm, entheos, those who are in God. So he says he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative, and we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Now, he doesn't name who this brother is, so we don't really know who it is, Most Bible scholars believe it's a reference to Luke, but we don't know for sure. He's just known as the brother. He's so well known. He doesn't even need his name. He's just the brother. And everybody would know at this time who's referring to the brother. Verse 19. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Verse 21, notice, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So this is the key here. Why is Paul sending Titus? Because he doesn't even want his hands to touch the money. He wants to be clean. He wants there to be no accusation of any financial impropriety. So Paul says, I'm going to send Titus and he's going to receive the offering from you. And the, the purpose in this particular case of the offerings that are being received, again, it's unto the Lord, but there's a purpose here. The purpose is because, as I mentioned last time, the churches of Jerusalem were destitute because the Christians, which in the first 10 years of the church was entirely made up of Jews, Jews who believed in Jesus as Messiah. Once they put their faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah, those Jews of the first century were shunned by their fellow Jews, because their fellow Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, then made these Jews who did believe in Jesus as Messiah outcasts. They shunned them, and they wouldn't shop at their businesses, they would avoid their companies, and those Jews then became destitute. So there was a brief time in the early church history where the churches pooled their money together to help support the Christians, the Jews who were believers in Christ, in Jerusalem, because otherwise they were destitute. And again, as I mentioned last time, I'll mention again this time, it is not setting an example for socialism, pooling your money together and spreading the wealth. This was something done out of necessity for a short time. It was never a principle through the Bible that people should pool their money and then spread out the wealth. Okay, it was for a specific purpose, and that was the purpose. Paul, wanting to be so above board as it relates to financial things, sends Titus It says, you go ahead and you receive the offering for the churches in Jerusalem. I just don't want there to be any accusation. I'm taking great pains, is what the verse says, to go out of my way so that no one can accuse me of having my hand in the money bag. And this is important because a lot of, I shouldn't maybe say a lot, some, some churches or some ministries don't do the best in terms of financial boundaries and financial accountability 
in terms of how they care for and manage what God has given. Paul says, I go to great lengths here to make sure that we're doing things right by receiving your offerings. As I read that verse, I just thought it's important for you to know that as Paul talks about going to great lengths and taking pains to make sure that in terms of receiving the offerings, it's done with uh, the best intentions and the best practices so that there cannot be any accusations of any financial impropriety. Now, let me move in with you to the rest of this verse and into chapter 9. He says in verse 22, In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for your brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. So he's referring to the churches in Jerusalem who received this. He says, be generous so that it'll be a testimony of your love for us and your love for the other churches. Chapter 9. I'm going to read all of this and then backtrack and just make a few points. So it's only uh, 15 verses. Let me just read through chapter 9, then we'll come back. This is a continuous flow of thought, by the way. He says, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, let me back up and just point out a few things about this chapter. First of all, he says here, they are a part of the lower province of Greece. Corinth is a city within the lower province of Greece called Achaia. The northern province of Greece is called Macedonia. Paul's talking here about how they, in the province of Achaia, 
He says, I know you've been eager to help because you've expressed your eagerness. But he says, don't disappoint. He says, I'm going to send Titus and the brother and they're going to come and receive offerings. Please don't disappoint. I've heard about your eagerness to help the churches of Macedonia. Please don't disappoint. If you do, it's going to give a bad name to me. It's going to give a bad name to you. Because I'm kind of vouching for you, Paul says. So he says, I want you to please do your best to be as generous as you can. And again, just alone in chapter 9, that word generosity or generous is used seven out of the eight times. Eight times between chapters 8 and 9, but seven of those times right here in chapter 9. So he says, I pray that you would be, and I urge you to be as generous as you possibly can. Not grudgingly, don't give grudgingly, but give cheerfully. So a few things that Paul says here in terms of principles about giving. Here's one. I got four things from chapter nine. Here's the first thing. Giving is like farming. You reap what you sow. And he uses those terms. Again, this is, you know, first century is more of an agrarian culture anyway. So he's talking here in terms of reaping and sowing. That's verse six, where he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sows, will also reap sparingly, sowing and reaping. These are farming terms. This is planting and harvesting. He says, and likewise, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So it's this whole concept of like a farmer. A farmer puts a seed in the ground. The seed begins to generate and bloom and blossom and bear fruit. Now, if you only sow one seed, you're only going to get a small amount of harvest. If you sow much, you're going to get much more. Now, I don't believe for a moment that we should give to get. I think shame on us if we just think God is a vending machine and we're just going to keep putting stuff in and pulling the lever thinking it's all about giving to get. It's not about giving to get. It's about giving to honor. It's about giving to worship. It's about giving to give thanks to God. But God just simply says, to the degree that you give, I'm going to give in return. That there's this beautiful built out law of reciprocity here. You sow much. You will reap much. You sow little, you will reap little. That God proportionally will return a blessing to us. And I don't believe that in terms of his generosity, it always comes in like kind. There are some things that God does in a generous way that are even more excellent than material things. And we need to be thankful for the multitude of ways that God blesses us and is generous towards us. Because there are some things even more precious, obviously than what we sometimes materialistically esteem. And God is wonderful as our Father in being generous towards us in a multitude of ways. But to the degree that we are generous, we will receive God's generosity. And likewise, if we sow little, we will receive little. Another thing that he says here in this passage comes from verse 7, that giving is about conviction, not compulsion. It's about conviction. This is a heart issue. And he uses the word compulsion. He says there in verse 7, each man or woman, it's a generic term, should give what he or she has decided in his heart to give. All right? It's a conviction thing. It's a heart thing, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is the Greek word hilaros. We get our English word hilarious from that word. It should be a happy thing. It should be a wonderful thing. It should be a joyful thing. You know, if, if you come to church and you, you drop a check or some cash in the offering and you do it with a frown, you're like, oh, I guess I got to do it, you know. Here, oh, here comes that velvet bag again. Oh, brother. 
You know, please, please don't, don't, don't give because I don't think that honors God. It's, it's all about a heart issue. It should be about conviction. Here's what God has put on my heart to give. And then you be true to that conviction, but don't do it under compulsion. Don't give because you think you must give because you think you can. Don't give because you're under coercion or compulsion. Give because, oh, this is, oh, God has been so good to me. Oh, this is so wonderful. I have the opportunity to give. It is so, it is so wonderful to know that everything we have comes from the hand of God and we're just giving back a portion of what belongs to him. So give because it's a matter of the heart. It's a conviction that you feel from the Lord, not under compulsion. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we explore more of the book of 2 Corinthians. There is no other book of the Bible that goes as in-depth into Paul's sufferings as 2 Corinthians. Paul didn't mention these things for bragging rights or for pity. On the contrary, in fact, Paul only mentioned the hardships he'd been through to prove that even though his pedigree as a Pharisee was top-notch, he could relate to anyone who has and will suffer for the sake of Christ. Being a Christian doesn't come easy, and Paul could attest to that firsthand. But his whole point in mentioning those things wasn't for you to focus solely on all the bad things he went through. His intent was to help his readers focus on the why of what he was doing, which was because of Jesus and his message spreading, no matter the personal cost. Are you living life in this way, willing to do whatever it takes for others to know about Jesus? If you're desiring to be with a community of believers who have this as their mission, then we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more details as to where we meet and when. That's all for today here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.